Wonderful to be in the church, in the presence of the church of the living God, and to know that all things are possible with God, and to know that God is listening to our prayers and giving us answers and extending us mercy and grace way beyond anything we merit or deserve, that God marshals the forces of heaven and earth for one little 10-month-old child and brings those resources to bear and hears the prayers of his saints and carries that little child through a train of compassion from a 17-year-old girl who's walking by, who sees the need, and comes over and starts helping dad give CPR to a senior adult couple who stop in the middle of the street and jump out of the car and run over and start giving CPR to him, to the EMTs who arrive and they start caring for him. It's, it's an amazing chain, a wonderful chain of care that God gave to little baby Graham. And five different mouths put their mouths over the mouth of that baby boy and breathed to him life as his heart wasn't beating. They didn't find a pulse on the boy till they got him to the emergency room. It was 30 minutes before they found the pulse. Rebecca, who was in the ambulance, another Rebecca, showed up on day six in ICU, poked her head in, looked around. She says, I was one of those EMTs that came in the ambulance. I'm just checking on Graham. I want to see how he's doing. And it occurred to me as I watched his journey and saw my grandson in that ICU that, that God provided this succession of angels who watched over that baby boy and breathed to him life when he couldn't breathe on his own and pumped his chest when his heart was just so feeble. And God heard the prayers of this congregation on their knees and friends around the world until the course of prayer never stopped 24-7. The sun never set on prayers for baby Graham. And why we are the recipients of grace, our family only marvels. <laughs> it's, it's just God's mercy, nothing we deserve. But it illustrates how important every little life is to God. The sparrows do not fall and the babies do not cry without the Father in heaven noticing. There's a mom in the Bible whose sayings are mentioned in Proverbs 31. I want to read a little bit of King Lemuel's words Proverbs 31 is famous for the poem of the virtuous woman. But before you get to that poem, verse 1 says, these are the sayings of King Lemuel. An inspired utterance his mother taught him. So these are the words of a mom. Listen, my son. Listen, son of my womb. Listen, my son, the answer to my prayers and she concludes these sayings in verses 8 and 9 when she says to her boy to King Lemuel speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves for the rights of all who are destitute speak up and judge fairly defend the rights 
of the poor and needy. The words of a mom to a king. If ever there were sincere words, it's the words from the mother. She wants what's best for her boy. She wants him to excel. She wants him to be all he can be. And so she says to the king, listen, I want you to do something. You hear my words now. You speak up for the folks who have no voice. Do not forget the poor and the needy and the destitute. It begins, Lemuel, in realizing that you are a creation of God and that you are the object of God's favor. Lemuel, remember, you're the object of God's favor. Don't ever think, King Lemuel, that you are responsible for your position and wealth. You remember where you came from. You remember it's the gift of God's grace. You didn't choose to have a queen for a mother and a king for a dad. That was a gift to you, Lemuel. The forces of biology and sociology were brought to bear before you were ever here. And you are recipient of many gifts from God. You are the object of God's favor, my friend. Sometimes you are tempted to suppose that you are a self-made man. And a self-made man may be proud of who he is and may say, I have put myself here and others have put themselves there so he might credit himself for his royalty and blame the poor for their poverty. But not you, Lemuel. You know from the beginning that you are the recipient of grace, that you stand in a position that you did not earn or deserve. You started in a place that was favored for you. If you ever forget that you are the object of God's favor, you will start seeing the world falsely. You will look at your neighbors in the wrong way. As long as you remember that you are the recipient of the grace of God and the favor of God has come upon you and every day when you get up in the morning you say, thank you, Lord, for this new day. I know it's a gift from you. Thank you for these hands that you gave me. I didn't craft my life with these hands. You gave me these hands. You gave me the brain connected to these hands. You gave me these feet that I walk with. All of this is a gift of you. So when I put my feet on the ground in the morning and I get up in a new day and my heart's beating and my lungs are breathing, I'm saying, thank you, God, for this new day. It's a day you gave me. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. That fundamental orientation is how you got to start looking at your neighbor, looking at the child with AIDS in Africa, looking at the child sold into slavery in India, looking at the beggar, the little kid on the street begging in Lima, Peru. You got to remember God's grace to you 
and see every hurting heart from the point of view of God's grace. If you're full of pride about who you are and what you've done, it will steal your heart to those who have little, who are destitute. The prophets say that governments will be judged not by how they treat the powerful, but by how they treat the poor. It was Jesus who gave his credentials to John the Baptist when John the Baptist said, are you the one or should we look for another? It was Jesus who said, well, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Tell that to John and he'll know I'm the one. When Jesus announced his Messiahship in his hometown in the synagogue, that's what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. If God has favorites on the planet, they're the poor, the destitute. That's why Pastor James in Jerusalem wrote and said, pure religion and undefiled before God is to care for the orphan and the widow in their distress. Caring for widows and orphans if you have a heart full of gratitude every day when you get up and you look around at the stuff you've got and know it's all a gift from God, you won't malign the poor. Do you know the Bible has warnings about maligning the poor? Every generation in every place on the planet for all of the lives of men have had people who malign the poor, who said to the poor, they're where they are because of themselves and have not had compassion for them. And the scripture says you be careful how you speak about the poor and the needy and the destitute. You know who the poor are in the world, don't you? Women and children. Kids. Way out of proportion to the rest of the population. The poor are the children and God calls us to deal with them in grace because he has dealt with us in grace we are simply extending to the poor the destitute the needy we're extending to them the grace that God has extended to us you are the object of God's favor and you are the subject of God's judgment one day you're going to stand before God it is appointed a demand once to die. And after this, the judgment. Paul says there's going to be a day when our works will come before God and what's wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned up. Abraham was praying, addressing God in the very first part of the Bible. And he talked to the Father in heaven, the creator of all things, like this. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Lemuel's mother said to him, you judge fairly. You be careful how you pass judgment. Because you've got an answer to give one day. And we will give our answer too. The scripture says it is not just sin to do what is evil. It is also sin to fail to do 
what is good. He who knows to do good and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. And I worry that the orphans and the widows of the world are in greater plight, not so much because they've been victimized, but because they've been ignored. Maybe it would be a good question for a follower of Jesus to ask himself or herself, what am I doing on behalf of the little ones who have no voice? King Lemuel, when you get to the throne and a position of power, you speak for those who have no voice. That's what his mother said. The saddest thing in the world is to see your tent month old grandson intubated with tubes running into his mouth and his nose and he is in pain and he opens his mouth and he grimaces in a cry and he cannot make a sound it's a silent cry like the cry that is heard around the world by millions of children who do not have families and do not have food and God is calling his church to remember them, to remember them and pray for them, and to do what we can. And maybe you, see, you receive that truth with a little despair, and you think, well, what can one person do? What can one church do about the hurt and need of the orphan? And God would say, hey, the whole planet's not your responsibility, but you've got some. And if you will do what God calls you to do and lays on your heart to do, you will be so encouraged about what God's going to do on the rest of the planet. It's the people who are working on the problem who straighten up their back and walk in the world with courage and confidence because they're doing something about the need that they know of. And that's what we got to do. Because we are not just the objects of God's grace and the subjects of his judgment, but we are the masters of our response. We decide how we're going to respond when we see need, when we see opportunity, when we see the privilege to speak for those who have no voice. We say yes, we say no. I talked to a man here recently, and he's training to be a child advocate in the system. So that when a child's case comes before a judge, he will be there to give a voice to the child who has no voice. I know some of you work every day with children. God bless you. The nurses and doctors in the pediatric ICUs and those floors, they are wonderful people. And some of you have dedicated your lives to caring for children in educational institutions and medical facilities. And God bless you. It's a wonderful ministry that you do. Do not despair. I had one ICU nurse that wrote to me and she said, I was so full of the suffering and difficulty and heartache of my job. And then I saw God answer prayer in Graham. And I know that God wants me here and wants me to keep going. And I'm showing up to work every day with a new purpose because God's in this place, even though there's trouble and pain in this place. Don't you get discouraged in your doing good, all right? Don't feel like you're being burdened by another burden in your life. There is an opportunity full of joy and wonderment and blessing for you to respond to the silent cry of the orphan and the kid in foster care and say, Lord, I'm going to do what I can.
You see this table? This is the table that God invites you to. He adopts you into his family. And his table always has room for one more. We call this the Lord's table. He made sure that we'd have it in every worship center. He said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. We come to this table remembering that God made room for us at his table. You get here by invitation, and the word goes out, and we come to the table. And it's the Father in heaven who makes every place setting with tender care. He knows your face. He knows your name. He knows where you are at the table. And it is pure grace. It's not like the Father in heaven has to do this. It's his character to do it. It's his nature to do it. And he's drawing us toward that nature. The Father God is helping us understand that we have a table too. And maybe we think our table is full and our plate is full. But there's a joy that we're passing up. And if we'd make room at the table, we'd find the grace and power of God in a new way in our life. I don't want us to come to this table without thinking about how God has made a space for us and challenges us to make space for others at our own table. We'll receive these elements in a minute, the bread and the cup, and they illustrate the wonderful provision of God for us in salvation, that God sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us. We remember the broken body of the Lord with the bread, and we remember his spilled blood with the cup. But we also remember this, Everything we need is provided from the Father's hand at our table. And if you were to invite somebody to your table and into your life and expand the circle of your influence, God would provide. Maybe you're thinking, I just don't know if I've got space. Maybe you need to create a space and watch God provide the bread and the cup for you every single meal. Maybe if you make space at the table, every meal will become a miracle. Like every smile is from Graham. Every time the boy smiles, I say, thank you, God, for the miracle. And the Lord's Supper is a teaching about life. It's a teaching about three meals a day. It's a teaching about the table in your dining room, in your kitchen. It's a teaching about how the Father opens up his arms to us and we open our arms to others. And I'm not telling you what your assignment is. I just want you to listen. And as you receive the bread and the cup today, just listen to what God may be saying about you and your table and how he'll provide your needs.